0: Brothers and sisters, would you open up to Luke chapter 2 in your Bibles or apps, whatever you may have. And I know that I am kind of breaking a rule. Luke chapter 2 is typically saved for Christmas Day, right? It is typically one of those that you read either as a family or is preached on that Christmas Eve or Christmas Day but I'm breaking the rules. Today, our sermon title is called The Wonder. This word, wonder, is a great word. There are a few different ways that you and I use this word, wonder. For example, we might use the word, wonder, to describe something that we are thinking about in a kind of an inquisitive kind of way. Like, I wonder... If the Bears will win this I wonder. The answer, generally is sadly, is no. No, right? But I, I wonder. You're kind of inquisitive. It can also be used in a, a negative sense or for something that is, is doubtful, like I wonder what he means by bringing up the Bears losing. Is his heart for or against them? Is his wife unduly influencing (laughs) him? So, but there's all, it can also be used to describe about being filled with awe, being filled with amazement. Uh, And that is what we mean when we say something is wonderful. It is amazing. It is awe-inspiring It make something special, something attractive, something absolutely appealing. Imagine, for instance, the look on a child's face on Christmas morning. They see a present. There's like this, there's a bow on it, and it has been wrapped in this beautiful, shiny kind of wrapping paper child. there's this childlike emotion over something incredibly exciting, or may- potentially even mind-blowing. So I did some research this week on the concept of wonder. When I came across this quote, and this quote says this, ready? If you want to witness a display, natural display of a sense of wonder, just observe a child. is viewed through the eyes of wonder and excitement. A child has no judgments of why things are so, but rather, a child is in awe of life and views life through pure innocence and purity and curiosity. You may have often heard the term. Be childlike. Referring to our adult self to just let go. And be more open and curious. The truth is, and I hate this last sentence, but it is so true. The truth is that we lose our sense of wonder as we become adults. How many would agree with that? that you kind of lose this sense of awe and amazement. In fact, we we kind of rein in our excitement and giddy about it, people go, whoa, look at him. He's kind of crazy. She's kind of crazy about that that gut laughter and this excitement, this bubbling upness. But the truth is many of us do kind of lose that sense of wonder, of, of excitement. We don't find things as appealing and awe-inspiring as we become adults. And I think the the author is absolutely right. And she's a secular author. It is easy to lose that wonder as we become adults. And the reason, of course, is because things become more familiar or more explainable. I know where that came from. Oh, I got that. The more experience we have with something or someone, the easier it is to kind of lose wonder. And this is true with a concept, it's true with a person, and it's true with a place. Even those who live in Colorado, after a while, they become more numb to the beauty and awe and the splendor of the Rocky Mountains. Those of you who have dear close friends or a spouse, there's a point where you were in awe with this person, and man, you would do, you would do cartwheels, and you would do tricks. You would go buy things. You would find the best things. You would dress up. You even put cologne on. Anything to obtain this beautiful artwork that God calls woman. <laughs> But now look at you! <laughs> we become more familiar and comfortable and we lose some of the awe. I, I know I feel it. And I'm sure you do as well. Right, Abby? Right? <laughs> but we also feel it when it comes to the story of this baby that is in a manger but when was the last time you have stopped and you have said that is absolutely amazing? A baby in a manger. So today we are gonna walk through one of the most familiar texts in in the Christmas narrative. We're gonna look through Luke chapter two and we're going to look at this so that we can Together, reclaim the wonder of what it means that God is with us. I want us to reclaim that wonder. So, together, my friends, would you stand with Lou to read verses 1 through 18 together and pray that God would help us reclaim the wonder of God with us. Before we do, let us pray. Gracious God of heaven, who has spoken and your word has come to us, grant us now by the Holy Spirit, would you speak into our lives? Would you grant us clarity, understanding of faith? So that like those who rejoice at the discovery of the good news and the great of great joy, might we also do it also, Lord? We pray this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of Christ comes to us like this. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was from the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord Shown around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, "For For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. from them into heaven. And the, angels, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. If you're a note taker, got a few points for you. And they're all around this word wonder. The first is wonder revealed, followed by this idea of wonder experienced. And then lastly, we are going to have a wonder check of our own hearts. So first, there is this this revealing of God with us. And last week, we looked at Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, where Matthew, Jesus is this long-awaited Messiah. He was speaking to his Jewish brothers and sisters and said, listen, this son, this Emmanuel, this Jesus has come to you. This Messiah is a one that Isaiah has foretold. He has come. But Luke's aim is a little bit different. Luke's aim aims to put into writing an account of the life of Jesus so that the believers, the believers can have confidence in what they have been taught. You'll even see a difference in the way that Luke writes. Luke writes with precision, And the skill of a, what was his occupation? A physician. physician. He was a doctor. He's writing with that kind of skill, evaluating all of the relevant data that he has received. He starts from the beginning, explaining how Jesus was born into this world. So this begins with a... has actually happened, but also to illustrate the way in which God intervenes and steps into history in the midst of what we might consider to be mundane or maybe even inconvenient events. It starts off with, in those days, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the entire Roman world should be registered. So the first registration went out with who was the governor of Syria. And everybody went to his or her own town to be registered. So Luke refers to political leaders in order to kind of set a, um, a, a historical kind of environment of what was going on. It's like kind of saying, in the, in the days of the Civil War, These are the players in history. He's setting it out. David would not only indicate who was the president, but also what the culture was like. So during the time of Jesus' birth, Rome ruled the Middle East. We we don't know a lot about this man named Quirinius, but we do know that he was some kind of regional administrator for Rome, uh, for the region of Syria, which included Israel, Rome typically kind of had a provincial leader who oversaw all the workings of of that area. But Quirinius, it goes on to mention that there was they he, they needed somebody else to kind of do the the little bidding in each area, and that man was. One who did the bidding of Quirinius, and Quirinius did the bidding of Caesar Augustus. And so we have all these political people mentioned here. Luke sets this narrative in the midst of this Roman Empire with its taxation, with its census, with its particular rulers, and it's easy just to kind of say, okay, yada yada yada, let's kind of move on with those facts because this kind of feels really common for us, right? And this is already, you can just breeze over these facts and start to lose the wonder of what is going on. But typical as we come to see what's happening on, happening here. In fact, part of the wonder of this moment is how unexpected this all is. What's more, I love the fact that while the events of humankind are just kind of turning Kings are ruling, taxes are being paid, people are being counted, people are moving from here to there to everywhere. God, in the midst of all that, is on the move. So don't get lost in historical facts because the reality is God is always on the move, And that's probably a good thing for us to remember. Even now, in the election stuff, we can get lost in all that, but the reality is, God is always on the move. Mysteriously and sovereignly, God is working out his plan of salvation to save his people, but he is doing it in the midst of our very ordinary lives. And I've often pondered the fact that our lives turn dramatically in the most ordinary kind of moments. If you're married, think of the first time you met your spouse. It was not at a rock show, where everything was orchestrated around a moment. It was in a very ordinary event. Think about the path that, that led you to your present job, ordinary events. Maybe even how you find yourself to be a part of this church, ordinary events. I, I think about how, m- about my journey and how it brought to Monsieur Day Church. It all came from a kid who was living in Pella, Iowa and just wanted to get out of Dodge. I just, want, I just wanted to get out of this small town and, and go to the big city of Chicago. So I found myself going to Trinity Christian College with an education degree. And from that, that, through that education degree, it eventually led me from Lansing, Illinois, to Mokina, Illinois, teaching fifth grade for 10 years and loving it, loving it and loving it. And ultimately that, moving to Mokina, Illinois, led me to being a part of Peace Community Church in Frankfurt. And through a bunch of craziness and messiness and stuff like that, it led me to becoming a pastor at Peace Community Church, which led me to ultimately being asked to plant their first church. Miss your day. My journey started back in 1988. 1988, wanting to get out of a small town, Iowa, only to find myself where? Small town, Manhattan. (laughs) So much for escaping, right? But but that's the way that God works. And honestly, if you sit back and really write everything out, you go, that is absolutely. God works in ways that we can rarely see in a moment. And that's really important if, if you are finding yourself in one of those seasons of waiting or one of those seasons of confusion of where, what is going on. And one of the ways that maybe you can even fight anxiety or fear is by being, actually being amazed, by being amazed at how God is working everything out according to his word And if he has done it in, his, in the past, my friends, the reality is you can trust him then with your future. Put off worry with wonder. So verse 4 provides the specifics of, of the location of the birth of this Christ child, And there, there's a lot of important details that are given out. You can see that Joseph leaves Naz, Nazareth and travels to Bethlehem, which is the city of David, which is key, right? Because he is a descendant of this royal family. Nazareth is, is, is just a small backwater town. It's insignificant. And Bethlehem was like 95 miles away. And he's like driving from here to Lake Geneva. Right, so that they—they they were on. Joseph was walking, Mary was riding from here to Lake Geneva, or if those of you who like uh, maybe uh, Michigan, it's like walking or driving to Benton Harbor or Normal, Illinois, from right here. And this this event was prophesied in Micah chapter five. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah who are too little to be uh, known among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. So Bethlehem will be the location even of a tragic genocide as Herod finds out about this promised child. All of this, God is using. We, we, as we continue in the text, we find other important details. All of them create a particular picture right here. And, and verse 5 is all too familiar for us. And we, where we can even lose its shock value. Joseph travels to Bethlehem with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. To be betrothed with child would have been scandalous for those who would have known about it. You're not married, and you're pregnant. In that day, in that age, and today we've grown way too numb to that, back then it would have been a reason for potential execution. So imagine what it might have been like for them as Joseph returned to, home. Joseph returned home to his family and extended family with everyone that he grew up with. Just ponder this fact that this is the backdrop for the birth of Jesus, and it is filled with such irony, but wonder-filled irony. And then verses 6 and 7, we find the actual birth narrative. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This child is identified as the firstborn. The Christ child is wrapped up in swaddling clothes, which was a long piece of linen strip of cloth and they were wrapped tightly around the child to limit their movement. And Jesus was famously laid in a feeding trough. We've got such pretty pictures of troughs. This was no glamorous trough. And on top of that, this stall for animal food was found in an inn, not a in Hilton. It's not even the best Western. It's the bottom room. Because there was no... that the place in Bethlehem was such a small village. The inn was a crude, overnight lodging place for travelers because there was... And on top of that, not only was it just a, a crude place, it was a place where Our Savior was birthed. The point, more than anything else, is that the Christ child was born in extremely humble circumstances. In the historical context of of mighty empires, imperial kind of rulers, ruthless kings, and powerful armies, in a tiny backwater city, and in a manger, The ironic entrance of the Christ child becomes a harbinger for the life of Jesus and messengers of the gospel. The God who saves comes as a baby and found in a manger. Humility. One commentator said it well. He said this, The irony of the most important event in history taking place in a manger should not be lost sight of. It reveals how God elevates the lowly and humble and rejects the proud and mighty of the world. That's how God works. So ponder this. Consider and wonder that the Messiah's entrance into our world would be very different than anyone else had predicted or how they would have ever planned it out themselves any wonder why Paul would say the following from Philippians chapter 2, while at the same time encouraging us to live the same way, Paul said this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only form of God did not count himself equally with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And Paul could have added in in Bethlehem in a manger, a dirty old manger. And that humility led to So does even that cause you to wonder? To be found in awe or in shock? It should. And all of it started in what we read in Luke chapter 2. But let's let's move on to the, the next piece, to wonder experience. The scene turns from the manger to the shepherds who are out in the field. And we see an account of the kind of wonder that happens as other people encounter the news of this Christ child being born. The announcement of the birth of Jesus was a spectacular moment. But, for who? Just a few people. And they were the most unlikely to receive that first birth announcement. The divine announcement was given to shepherds. And there's just another moment of irony in all of this because the shepherds were not well-respected folks at all. Shepherds were considered an unclean group of people by the standards of the law, and they also had a reputation of just being dishonest folks. Given the fact that they were keeping watch over their flock by night, we can assume and they were actually living with their sheep that are feeding in the countryside alongside Bethlehem. So don't miss the fact that the first people to learn about the birth of Jesus were literally... Outsiders living on the very margins of society. That's who God made His first announcement to. Outsiders, marginalized people. Think about who that might be. And what happens next must have been absolutely a sight to behold. According to verse 9, a single angel appeared to them. And often if you look out through Old Testament history, whenever an angel would show up, people were terrified. They were terrified. And and then on top of that, it describes in verse 9 that the glory of the Lord shone around them. When it talks about God's glory, His weightiness, His otherness showing up it is a, a, a bright light. It's a, a heavy light. It's a, a terrifying light. And the glory of the Lord was showing up in that moment. In other words, they were in the presence of this angel. They were surrounded by God's presence. And this text says that they were terrified with the encounter of this angel. The glory and the power of what they were seeing caused them to fear for their own very lives. The angel says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy for all people. But what happened this day in the city of the Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this is going to be a sign for you guys listen, this baby is going to be wrapped up in swaddling clothes and he's going to be lying in the manger. So I'm giving you all the hints of where you're going to find him. So this this phrase, this good news, is a Greek word for evangelism. This is good news. It's the gospel. So wrapped up in this announcement is actually the gospel, the good news, that God has come to be with his people, to provide a way. And it's going to be for all people. It's announcing that God that this will as the Old New Testament moves on. But this good news is going to be spread out through all the known world. And that, when he says that it happened this day, it's like, this is the long-awaited day. And you get the, the first news, you get the first announcement, and he's going to be your savior. Do we find ourselves with this, with the shepherds finding ourselves just as amazed? What happens next is almost unbelievable. And I want you to even take, if you dare, take your imagination there. It's not only the angel came with good news and great joy, which shall be for all people. After that, single angel finishes his very important announcement. He has slipped into the heavens. But what happens next? The entire night sky is filled with a heavenly host. The entire night sky. It's almost as night turned to day. The term is, this term heavenly host is used for the army of angels. And there is a multitude of them. Or another way to say it is, there are too many to be numbered. You couldn't even sit there and count how many were up there. And they all joined together and sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or I like the how I grew up, I grew up with the NIV. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Think about that. This message is really the hope of what Jesus, as the Messiah, will bring. He will bring glory to God. He will bring the peace of God to his people. So when we say, may the peace of Christ be with you, this is not just a, a liturgical thing that we just should glibly say, oh, may peace of Christ be with you. No, really. Yeah. Glory to God on the highest and on earth peace. And may it be on the, the people So when we say, may the peace of Christ be with you, it's actually a thing that we we hope and we live in. This is is another part of the wonder that we should, we have been involved in this. The The book of Romans says this, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So with the announcement of the angels, is the essence of the rest of the New Testament. The announcement text ends with the response of the shepherds. They are the first to hear the good news, and their response is instructive to us as a church. After the message was received, after it was understood and processed, what did they do? They made haste. They giddy upped and got going. They didn't pull out their phone and say, oh, I wonder what we got going on here today. Do we got to tomorrow might work a little bit better? Do you got time tomorrow? What about you? That doesn't work? Well, let's go next week. No, they didn't do that. In that moment, when they heard this good news of great joy, that it's going to be for all people, they heard it. The sky went black again. They immediately, did you see that? And they immediately made haste. And they found Mary, and they found Joseph, and they found that baby, the promised Messiah, lying in the manger. The, the sign verified the message of the angels. The angels went away. And they said, let's go see it. Let's go see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. do that. The Lord's made this known to us. Let's go discover it. Let's go share it. And they they went and they saw it. And what did they do afterwards? Did you pick that up when they saw this thing? They didn't just go back and just say, let's go take care of the sheep. They made known, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it, all who heard it from whom? The shepherds, all who heard this message from the shepherds, wondered at, at what they had told them. So you have the baby, you have the major, you have the angels, and the shepherds made this great moment of wonder for all who had heard it. But it also created a, a renewed wonder and a renewed excitement in the shepherds. They, verse 20, the shepherds returned to their work, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it has been told to them. They experienced the hearing of the good news, and there was excitement, there was joy, there's wonder. Sure, there was probably some confusion, but they were like, what just happened? There was excitement, and they, they went back to where they were, but they were filled with great joy. Today, you're going to probably be returning home to just a meal. But I pray that through hearing God's word, you will rediscover joy and wonder at what God has done. I hope when you unpack God's word, it starts doing something in your heart. And you sit over the the lunch table, the dinner table, the breakfast table. What does this mean? What is God calling us to do? We need to praise him for this. I can't believe this is happening. So that leads us to the third thing. We need to do actually a wonder check of our own hearts. We need to check our own hearts. Because you know what the danger is with this text for most of us, right? Is that we will lose our wonder, that we would treat this passage with the spirit of, I know, I know. Many of you have heard this story, and you could probably almost do it recited verbatim. I know, I know. We can lose the the wonder, we can lose the awe of what is happening here. And this can happen in the rest of our spiritual life. So I found this blog post that kind of took up this question of wonder, and it li- listed 10 signs that, you've, uh, that you have actually lost your wonder over Jesus. Are you ready for these? Here's the first one. Your highest passion for Jesus is past tense. is closer to when we first became believers. Oh, Lord, give me that kind of excitement that I had when I first followed you. From there, our faith often kind of settles into routine. Here's another sign that maybe you've lost wonder. You have to make yourself do evangelism. Or maybe I can even say, you pass it off to somebody else people filled with wonder over Jesus naturally and others about him. Those who no longer marvel at him must force themselves to do it or pass the buck to somebody else who's more gifted or has the calling to do that. These shepherds were evangelists, and they were on the lowest societal rung and they couldn't help but share the good news. Here's the third thing. You don't grieve your sin like you once did. We most ache over our sin when we see it against a holy and awesome God who sent his son to die for us because we we are sinners. And when we take his son for granted, we take Jesus, the Savior of the world, for granted. Our disobedience doesn't grip us as strongly as it once did. And we can write it off as, oh, uh, you know, that's the way, you know, I struggle with that. Here's the fifth one. You can't say with integrity that I am. Long to know Jesus more. I counted everything as lost compared to knowing Christ. <laughs> That's the kind of heart that Neville never settles for a mediocre relationship with Him. I count everything, everything as lost compared to the opportunity to know Christ more. I long to wake up in the morning and open his word as opposed to opening up my phone. I find moments in my days where I can eke in a little bit more time in the word, a little bit more time praying, a little bit more time just alone meditating, thinking about the wonders and the glory and the awesomeness of God. I just long for that. Here's the sixth thing. We've begun to see it, you've begun to see your Christianity as a restriction rather than a joy. When you, when you get there, your faith has begun, has become a set of actions. It's become kind of a rote routine rather than a relationship with Jesus. And that's usually a sign that you worry in the beauty and the awesomeness of our Savior. You've lost your wonder if it has just become a set of activities. And then the last one. Something or someone excites you more On what you think about and what you talk about, Jesus no longer is higher or He is now lower than your most important thing that you talk about. What's the thing that you talk about and you think about the most? Is it your children? Is it your job? Is it retirement? Is it your financial security? Is it that relationship or that relationship? Do those things excite you more than Jesus? So my friends, let's be sure that we do not lose the wonder of the gospel Let's, let's allow the wonder of God with us coming into our time and our space to be our Savior, to settle into our hearts even now and to transform our hearts and our minds, our actions, our priorities, our love, our, our longings. And let's repent. Let's, true, let's truly repent of our cold-heartedness and any other sins that take up the space that is meant for our love for Jesus. So maybe we need to start at our root. What is choking out our love? Our wonder? Our awe? Of Jesus Christ. I'm gonna double dog dare some of you to yell out right now. What are those things that are choking out the wonder, the awe, the beauty of the gospel? Go. Politics. Politics, <laughs> yes. Others. Security. Security. Others. Work. Work. Books. Music. <laughs> Music. Health. Health. Getting things done? Getting things done, yes. My kids. Peace. Peace at home. Peace in our world. Friends. Let's together ask that the Lord would make us a people who never lose the wonder of Jesus. Let's pray.